WGN Sports Central, 710. Hope you're having a great Saturday with you till 830. Blackhawks hockey coming up. Hawks and the Calgary Flames. Blackhawks trying to end a five-game slide. Chris Bowden has your pregame at 830. I have you until then. My name is Mark Carmen. Good to be with you tonight. And interesting times, right? We got the NBA All-Star game in town. We're going to talk about that. Uh, coming up here, Magic Johnson caught up with him at one of the events this week. Uh, the Magic Man sharing a great, great story on him and Michael Jordan and the 1992 NBA Finals. So we'll we'll play that coming up here. Elise Menneker from Marquis Sports Network is going to be on the program a little bit after 7.30. But we start with Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant on the trade market all off season. Two years left on his contract. He had to go through the court proceedings. Baseball's court proceedings is uh, does he have one year left on his deal? Does he have two years? He filed a grievance. He lost. He's got two years, so that ups his trade value. But apparently, his trade value isn't that great because the Cubs seem hell-bent on trading Chris Bryant. Now, there's this narrative out there that, that, you know, Chris wants to perhaps play elsewhere, and the Cubs have made him a generous offer, and he's turned it down, and his agent is Scott Boris, and this is never going to work. But Chris Bryant was out at spring training today, and he was talking, and he said a lot of things. I thought it was very interesting. So, number one, Chris, are you mad at the Chicago Cubs for, A, going all the way back to 2015 when they didn't let you start the season with the big league club and held you out for the first 12 days to delay your service time? Are you mad at them for that, still holding a grudge? And are you mad about those trade rumors? I definitely saw a lot of things out there saying, oh, there's ill will towards the team, and then there's another one saying there's absolutely no ill will. It's like, okay, well... Where are we getting this from? Like, that was mine. Oh, maybe it was you. I don't know who it was, but it's like um, the only person opinion who's matter matters here is mine, and I'm right here in front of the microphone telling you guys that there's no hard feelings whatsoever. I mean, I completely respect this organization and everything that they've done for me, my family, um, given me an opportunity to play the game that I love every single day. Um, they've I just saw this as a process that is eventually going to help the players in the next round of negotiating, and I was going to be that guy to have the courage to do it, and I know there's going to be backlash for it, and I understand it, um, you know, but I felt it was really important to me to stand up for, you know, what I believed in and what we as players believe in, and, you know, that's a good thing. And like I said, there's no hard feelings at all. The only thing that matters is what comes from my mouth. And never once have I said I never wanted to play here. I mean, I'm pretty sure you guys can go through all the recordings, all the interviews. I've always said I've respected everybody in this organization, everybody in the city, the fans. Like, you, we have it so good here. And, of course, I would love to play here. We have it so good here. Of course, I love to play here. And as you listen to it, it's pretty obvious, right? He's a little rattled. The voice is quivering. Sad and angry. Hey, man, I love it here. I won a World Series here. By the way, I was at MVP in 2016, the Rookie of the Year in 2015. I've been nothing but grateful. There's no way I want to play anywhere else. Now I will. But I don't want to go anywhere. Have I ever done anything on the field to indicate to you whatsoever that I don't want to be here? I'll play left, I'll play right, I'll play third, I'll play first. Unbelievable. All right, real quick timeout. When we come back here in three minutes, we're going to hear from Brian, and the this was really interesting about whether or not the Cubs have offered him a long-term contract. that We keep hearing about the Cubs have offered him this long-term deal. Chris talks about that next, 720 WGN. So, all right, let's go back to, I don't know, if you go and you Google, it, it says, Chris Bryant turned down a $200 million contract extension. Chicago Cubs third baseman, Chris Bryant turned on a multi-year contract worth $200 million. 
It's a report by this guy by the name of David Kaplan. Never heard of him. Uh, Brian and his agent Boris rejected the offer sometime. This is back in 2018. All right. Now, Chris was asked about that and turning down contracts north of $200 million. This was very interesting from KB. I, I think I've always had the stance that, yes, I want to play here. I love the city. And it's so... I mean, the biggest thing with this whole the trade rumors that has disappointed me is the fact that I feel like people, not everybody, but the main reasoning behind it is that let's get rid of him now because he doesn't want to be here in two years. He turned down this monster extension well north of $200 million, and I'm like, well, where was that? I never saw that. Whoa! Whoa! KB never saw some alleged $200 million plus extension back in 2018. Now we're in 2020. Hmm. Not sure what to make of this, but I am making of it that, I don't know, if I'm the Cubs right now and I'm watching that press conference, I might be on the phone to his agent right quick and be like, hey, seems like Chris wants to be here. We love Chris. What's it going to take? Here's or, or be even more aggressive. Here's the number that we're willing to do. Eight years, maybe they think eight years, 200 and I don't know, throw out a number. Eight years, 220 million. What would that be? So, I mean, that's north of, it's a little bit less than 30 million a year. Quite a, quite a chunk of dough. And not, go, and not the going rate, but a lot of money. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Enough to live on. For you, yourself, your kids, your grandkids, your grandkids, grandkids, and then after that. Now, I get it if he thinks he's worth, if he is going to get $350 million in two years, well, why would you leave $130 million on the table? You want to bet on yourself and play it out. And who knows what you can do a lot of things with that money, right? He could buy 12,000 yachts, or he could... By himself an island, he could donate it to charity. It's, it's his dough. He can do whatever he wants. That's how it works. So I get it if he wants to bet on himself, but the way I'm listening to it is the dude sounds like he wants to be here. By the way, the phone number is 312-981-7200. Would it break your heart if the Cubs trade Chris Bryant? 312-981-7200. Or do you see a guy who's... Getting up there a little bit in age. I mean, not not really, but by the end of his contract, he's going to be 30 years old. And he's a big guy, right? 6'5". All of a sudden, he doesn't run as well. Can't play all over the diamond. Maybe the back gets a little tight. You know what? He, he's not even really a good third baseman right now. He's not super quick. So all of a sudden, you're paying huge money for a guy who really can only play first base, which is possible. So maybe the Cubs are right to make the deal and whatever the deal would be. I, I I tend to be a very... I like people that I know. I like people that I see. I like people who are really good at baseball. Chris Bryant is all those things, so I, I wouldn't want to move him. 312-981-7200. Now, KB also weighed in on the Houston Astros and the cheating of 2017... And 18 and 19, and the Astros speaking this week. Jim Crane, their owner, absolutely embarrassed himself with whatever he tried to do. Well, we did, but it didn't impact the game. Jim, come on, man. Just own it and move on as best you can. That was not good. But uh, this was this was Chris, along, and he's echoing what a lot of guys in baseball are saying as far as the Astros cheating. A lot of the apology yesterday was a lot about 2017. 2017, it's like I'm pretty sure it was going on in 2018, 2019 too. Like, and that's that, that. That's just so sad because it's like just because you. I mean, if they didn't get caught, they'd still be doing it. And you know, they're only doing this apology because they got caught. And that's it's. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of feelings on it, and I know everybody around the league is really upset and rightfully so because it's really a disgrace to the game this is this is people's livelihoods too that they're, they're messing with like guys have never pitched in games since then guys have won awards that maybe they shouldn't have won who knows i mean yeah there's certainly talented ball players but 
you know, I, I personally think it's worse than steroids. I really do. I mean, it's steroids, you still have to compete and hit the ball. You know it's coming. I mean, off of, off of these pitchers, like guys throwing, you know, upper 90s with really good curveballs and sliders, and you can totally formulate an unbelievable game plan based on certain things if you know what they're coming. Like, it's just frustrating and i mean they're gonna they're gonna have a tough year this year for sure i mean i i got booed really loud in st louis and they're gonna get wow everywhere they go rightfully so bryant got booed in st louis because him and ryan dempster were doing a comedy act at the cubs convention and he just kind of made fun of st louis that there's nothing fun to do there it wasn't even real but st louis didn't like that and they booed him okay Maybe that made it a little more challenging for KB to play in St. Louis, hearing those boos coming up to the plate. And perhaps, if we're going to go really down the rabbit hole here, maybe that's why, partly why the Cubs might be slightly interested in trading KB, because they don't think he's super tough. I don't know. you got to reach for reasons, right, that you wouldn't want to keep Chris Bryant around. Look at the text line here, though. People are... Weighing in, been a Cub fan for 50 years. I suspect Chris isn't too fond of Theo. I also suspect Epstein didn't handle Chris's service time grievance. We all want Chris to stay with the Cubs. That's Tim. But then others are weighing in. Her name a team that came out ahead with Scott Boris. Trade Bryant. Get rid of him. He only won the MVP and helped the Cubs erase a 1908 to 2016 World Series drop. But get rid of him. Don't need him anymore. A lot of time before opening day here. I, I, I think it's very much on the table that uh, something will happen. Nolan Arenado, stud third baseman in Colorado, has been not attending Rockies spring training, hitting at a college nearby because he's so upset that the Rockies lied to him and are not trying to win. And apparently the Cubs have been interested there, and there's been rumors with the Braves, and there's been rumors with the Rangers. But I do wonder if today's conversation changes anything. As for the Astros, Bryant saying it's worse than steroids. Does anybody disagree with that? 312-981-7200. Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Rafael Palmero, Roger Clemens, long list of guys who extended their career, elevated their career in ways that would never have happened, made so much more money because they could hit the ball out of the ballpark or could throw 95-plus still on the mound and could recover better. But this is different, right? You know what pitch is coming. I also like Brian saying how you would game plan. You basically, okay, so when I hear the garbage can banging, I know that uh, the fastball, or it's not a fastball, I know how that's coming, so I'm just going to sit here and wait until I hear the garbage can. And if I don't hear the garbage can in a bat, well, then I'll just chalk that one up because I don't want to tip my hat that I'm in on it. And you go back and you look at the stats, like which Astros were in on it. There's this Jose Altuve character who had 473 at home in the 2017 playoffs, 143 on the road. Carlos Correa hit 371 at home, 211 on the road. He slugged OPS on base plus slugging, 1,164 at home, 626 on the road. Speaking of Carlos Correa, he's actually defending the Astros today. This was interesting. Like I said before, what doesn't sit well with me is when you say false statements if you don't know the facts if you're not informed this is america ken you can say whatever you want you can say whatever you want but cody bellinger's job is to look for information get informed know the facts for sure before he stands in front of cameras to talk about other players you should get informed you should be informed before you talk about other players if you don't know the facts then you gotta chill like I said before. What the- so that was Carlos Correa responding to Cody Bellinger, who played for the Dodgers, squared off against the Astros in the World Series, and he's telling him that he doesn't have the facts. Dude, facts are you hit 371 at home, 211 on the road. Those are the facts in that World Series. That's the facts. 1164 OPS, 626 on the road. Your teammate... Altuve hit six homers at home, one on the road. Alex Bregman hit 273 at home, 154 on the road. OPS of 857 at home, 508 on the road. The only guy that I could tell, or one of the guys that I could tell that actually has a case, is Yuli Gurriel. 303 at home, 306 on the road. 
So he might have been one of the guys like, yeah, it's, I'm, not, I'm, I'm good. I don't want to be a part of that. It's going to mess me up. But the Astros right now, you, you don't get to yell at anybody else with what they're saying. You just have to take it. Whether they're right or wrong, just be quiet. And, they're, and it's interesting, Dusty Baker's talking out, hey, I want you to stop. We want baseball to stop any retaliation because guys are pissed. I mean, balls are going to be going at the at the. If, hopefully, not the head because that, that would be wrong. And I don't even endorse throwing at them. Period. But guys are going to throw at people. They're going to throw at the Astros. It's going to happen. And Dusty's trying to get out in front of it. New manager of the Astros. Hey, Rob Manfred, step in here. We don't need people doing vigilante stuff here against my team. I know everyone's mad, but it's not fair to our guys. What? I don't know. Might be a little bit fair. It's not. Uh, it's not nice, but. In the world of baseball and what's right and retribution and sports, I don't know. And they're certainly going to get booed wherever they go. All right, Elise Medicare from the Marquee Sports Network is going to be covering the Cubs. They're debuting our first-ever team-only station. That's coming up here in, in uh, a week. So we'll talk to Elise coming up here, 720 WGN. 720 WGN, the Marquee Sports Network is right around the corner, and Elise Medicare is right out of these parts. Straight from the Big Ten Network. Actually, we should go back to Nutra High School via Cornell University. Elise, thank you for taking time. You're a new contributor, performer, doing lots of things uh, in the future at Marquee. Thanks for being on WGN. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I bet this is a, a huge deal. The first team in town to ever have their own sports network. And what does it mean to you to be a part of it? And uh, I, I know you don't know everything that's going to be going on, and maybe you can't tell us some of the things you do know that's going to be going on, but what's been the most exciting part about it for you so far? Well, I think, like you said, it you kind of referenced right off the top, not just the fact that it's the first team to have its own network, but also that I'm local. Um, so it's kind of a double whammy there where it's the best of both worlds where I get to cover a team that I grew up watching and be a part of history really with this network. So that's all the excitement factor for me. I mean, this is really as much of a dream job as you can get when you combine all of those things and not to mention my softball background. You know, I grew up in a baseball family, so you combine all of that. And, and like I said, it's really a dream come true. All right. So let's rewind back to young Elise. Where do you fall in the birth order in the Menneker family, please? Oh, I'm the middle child. I'm the one on TV. Couldn't you have guessed that? Of course I'm the middle child. <laughs> well, see, I would actually think the the middle child, I don't see them as a TV star. Like, I think the first child thinks they're the superstar that can be there, or the the third child, if there's three, you know, has the humorous and is not the perhaps focused student. But you, as a middle child, not getting the attention, you rose to stardom. I like it. Yeah, now my sister, she's also here in Chicago in media. She is Shoba Shelley, if you've heard of her. So she's on radio. Um, and my brother actually works in baseball. So uh, he's the youngest of us, and uh, he is a baseball agent at Octagon. So it's not actually at all what you described, but we all have the pieces of what you were talking about. <laughs> And I knew that your sister was Showbiz Shelley, but you know that is uh, you know we, we got rivalry now. We're we're, we're going at we're going at one zero three five here. Does she know that you're on WGN? Oh, wow. I mean, this is this is a big deal right now here. I mean, maybe. She... I mean, I didn't really think of it like that, but if we're going to create this rivalry, yeah, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I, I don't want to get you. I don't want to do that in, in the family. You know, <laughs> things, things are. Uh, you know, that that's not where I shouldn't be stepping in that zone here, Elise. But, <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm curious. You know, growing up, how do your parents play a part of this? Were they taking you to games? Were they getting you on the field? I'm assuming they were doing all of the above. Yeah, I mean, really. So it starts with my dad. Um, he played professional baseball, single A for the Orioles. And that's just kind of, you know, everything stems from that where um, I then grew up playing softball. And, and to your point, yeah, my parents took us to Cubs games. You know, I remember, gosh, when the Cubs were in the playoffs, I thought I was so cool. I made this poster because that that's a cool thing to do when you go to sporting events, right? You have to make the poster and try to get on TV and Carrie Wood was pitching. So I said, I put on it, Cubs are going to the World Series, dot, 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 knock on wood. See, isn't that clever? That is brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I thought so too. Well, but, you know, <laughs> I, let's give you some props here, though, because most kids, they get to go to the game. They don't make the extra effort of making a sign. You went the extra mile to show your allegiance to the team and Kerry Wood. I think that's gold star worthy. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's just kind of my personality. I just, you know, I'm all in 100% on everything I do. But no, all jokes aside, I mean, that's that's the truth. Um, and uh, that's kind of really where everything in my sports background stems from as well is, is the softball player in me. So I went to Nutri High School, like you said, and I played tennis and softball. I went on to play softball at Cornell and then at pro season in Sweden. Um, but it's all those skills that I learned in sports. And now, obviously, one of the excitement factors for me is that I get to use all my baseball knowledge by covering the Cubs. So I did work in Milwaukee for a couple of years where I covered the Brewers. And that's really where um, I covered the MLB for a couple of years, of course, specifically the Brewers. But um, that's just where I was able to, to get a sense for what this can all be like. And I think that's where, you know, my excitement comes from is I know what I can bring to viewers and what I want to bring, what I can bring to Marquee. And, and that's, I think, you know, what this is all about. So, for the parent that's listening who wants to help their kid get to the college softball level or college whatever sport level, and also, you know, if there is, uh, you know, an eight-year-old listening right now who wants to do and is dreaming it, what would you recommend as to how to, I don't know, schedule your life? And, and maybe that's a big thing for an eight-year-old, but how, do you, how did you do it, Elise? There's a lot of competition out there. Yeah, I think it's just kind of... Through sports, you learn so much about life. So what I'm about to say is true. It's just everything in life, and that is you just work really hard, and you never give up, and you have to be your number one fan. You have to believe in yourself more than anyone. And so I think that's really how I was always able to get to where I wanted to be in softball is because I I truly believed in myself, but I was also willing to put in the work. Um, So I never just settled. And even when I thought I was playing well or I thought I was at a level where, you know, I I could have stopped, I said, no, like you, there's, you know, you always hear that in sport. There's always someone working harder. And so that's kind of what would drive me, especially in college when you reach a level where everyone was the best on their team in high school. That's why they're on your team in college. So that was even something new. And so that's just what I say is you and you have to be willing to sacrifice. I mean, if you love what you do, then you have to be willing to sacrifice to make your dreams happen. Yeah, and you get to have some fun along the way, right? That's that's I always say when it's not fun anymore, then you don't do it. Yeah, yeah. So all right, let's uh let's talk about this baseball team. What 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 excites you about the twenty twenty Cubs? I think the first thing that comes to mind is David Ross. For me, that's the storyline that I'm excited to see and how it unfolds and what it means for not just the team but himself, the players, um, the storylines that we already have coming out, you know, just how he's going to be interacting with the players when we hear about him and Lester and the relationship they have. Of course, we have seen what he's been like with Rizzo as a teammate. You know, now what is it going to be like as a manager? I think we're starting to get answers to that already, which – I think sometimes our questions are more than what the players have. Um, but I think that will be something that I keep an eye on. And, and just, you know, because as the wins and losses come, you just want to see how this team responds and how he responds. Yeah, it was an interesting week along those lines with the Joe talking and Theo kind of responding, but not mm-hmm. wanting to get into the mix on that. And, you know, listen, I think there should be a statue built for Theo Epstein. You brought the World Series to Chicago. I would almost say the same thing for Joe Madden. Certainly, I mean, I, I'll always think well of Joe. But it is an interesting spot for Ross, right? I mean, here you're you're following a legend, the guy who won the World Series, and and now it just it seems like there's just a a little bit of the reasons coming out as to why Joe's not here anymore. I mean, how did you hear, or what was your reaction to sort of the back and forth this week with with Joe and Theo and Joe talking? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, but I think it was something that we kind of felt as we were watching the Cubs all of last season. We kind of felt those undertones that there was going to be some change, and it was just how was that going to happen and what was that going to look like? So I don't know if there was this shock that came along with everything that you're describing this week, but I think it was more so like, to your point, just, oh, so this is maybe what was happening, or this is what was going on. Um, But I think at the end of the day, we kind of just, you know, get a taste of it more and more. This is all just the business and um, the Cubs felt that they wanted to change. And I think Theo Epstein, you know, when he says it in his press conference at spring training, there is a new life to this team. There's an energy. Um, So obviously it's saying that that was lacking towards the end of, you know, Madden's tenure with the Cubs. And so now he thinks that that's back. So I think that is kind of speaking to that as well, that it's interesting because we all know Madden to be, I mean, that's who he is. He brings the energy. He brings this unique style of managing. Um, But I think it'll be interesting to see Ross because uh, there is something about him that um, perhaps, you know, when Epstein brings in Madden, you think, wow, 
like there's something to this. And now you almost have to think, could there be something to this Ross change as well? Yep. Trust in Theo. End of the day. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's a safe way to, to live your life. All right. Yeah. <laughs> B- before you get an honor, Elise, and I appreciate the time, Elise Menneker with us, a new contributor to the Marquee Sports Network, and it would be doing a whole bunch. When is uh, our first day of Marquee Broadcasting again? You... Yeah, so one week. That's great. A week from today, that's crazy. One week away. Can you believe it? And yeah. there's going to be a lot of cool stuff. Um, so one of the things you have to keep an eye on for is there's going to be this Ernie Banks documentary that I've heard is just like nothing you've ever seen. And that will be one of the many documentaries we have and just unique broadcasting of the content that we're going to bring from Marquee. I'm excited to bring content to Marquee. Um, so, Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let, let's wrap on this. Your all-time favorite Cub growing up was who? I'm, was it Carrie with the Ooh. sign, or is there somebody else? You know what? Because I mentioned the sign, I think that's going to be the one that pops into my head. It, that's a tough one, though. I've never really sat down at I should think about that, huh? But let's go with Carrie Wood. I mean, I I struggle when I go to. I'm a little bit older than you, at least. So for me, it was I loved Sean Dunstan, and then I loved Andre Dawson. Uh, I love Sammy. I was a huge Sammy fan. I know, right? That's who I grew up with. So he's always like, he's when you think of, for me, when I think of the Cubs growing up, Sammy Sosa is that guy. Yeah. I, it, it had, I mean, I would think if you're in that era, like, you, you know, there was an incredible, incredible time, 66 home runs and all. Hey, Elise, looking, yeah. for, looking forward to watching you, and thanks for jumping on today. Uh, congratulations, and best of luck with the success coming forward. I know it's uh, – after talking with you, Elise, i got full confidence you're going to crush it. You've got the, you've got the drive, and it's, it, it's all over this interview right now. So super impressive, and, and looking forward to seeing what you do. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I can't wait to bring you guys uh... – some exciting stuff this season. All right. Elise Medicare, 720 WGN. 720 WGN, 746 with you till 830 as Chris Bowden is warming up in the bullpen. He looks solid. He looks focused. He looks ready to go. Blackhawks and the Calgary Flames coming up. Hawks on a five-game slide. Need a win tonight. Uh, eight points out. Of the first wild card spot, six points back of the second. So we'll see if the Blackhawks can get her going tonight. As you know, I think it's NBA All Star Weekend. I've been out and about going to a bunch of events. I'll be at the game tomorrow night, not doing, of course, the uh, slam dunk three point contest tonight. I get to be with you guys, which is awesome. Uh, I'm wondering if I can get some stories from 1988 which is the last time the All-Star Game, of course, was in Chicago. In a beautiful February weekend. Now, I, I was raised in a basketball family. We, I, my first sports memories are of going to Bulls games. I remember they lost to the Atlanta Hawks. This is pre-Michael. 112-107. It was like 1982. Artist Gilmore was maybe running around. And we were sitting in the first balcony at Old Chicago Stadium. And then this guy, Jordan, came around. And my father wanted to do something nice for me because my mom was sick at the time. So he went out and he bought what they called Sweet 16 tickets. You could buy either the weeknight games or the weekend games. Now, I, of course, was a young 8th grade freshman, whatever it was. And so we got the weekends. We didn't want to be going down there on weeknights. That would be bad for school, even though my school was not going to get any worse uh, if we had gone to weeknight games but regardless we got the weekend games and so and we split them with a friend so we had nine games in 1987 and after the year this was Jordan's third year in the league he averages 37 points a game the Bulls finished 40 and 42 they got swept by the Celtics in the playoffs but everybody could see that Michael was going to be a thing not necessarily the greatest player to ever play the game but it was pretty obvious that the Bulls had something going And they had the All-Star game in 88. So they gave the ultimatum to their Sweet 16 crowd. Hey, you want to keep your tickets? You can, but they're going to be season tickets. So you can have the same seats, but you got to buy them all. And that was really the pinnacle moment in Carmen Family Sports. Do we get the season tickets to the Bulls or do we not? So my brother came in. My brother's 20 years older than me, so he could actually afford these tickets. And they were like 18 bucks back then. It wasn't uh, as cost prohibitive as it is now. So we end up buying the season tickets. And I had the sweet deal because I would go with my dad, and then I'd also get to go with my brother. 
So, like, I would get to go to, like, two out of every three playoff games. It was sweet. I, I, I had the Golden Goose deal. But so for the All-Star game, and this was one of the reasons why Jerry Reinsdorf didn't want the All-Star game to be in Chicago, the league takes over. They take the whole arena. So for your season ticket holders, you get put in the lottery, you're not going to get the same seats, and some are going to get tickets and some are not. So the organization actually has to deal with angry season ticket holders who don't have tickets for the All-Star game. So Reinsdorf have been saying for a long time, we don't want the All-Star game. Now that takes away from these millions of fans in the city, by the way, that are not season ticket holders that enjoy having the game here. But so it had been a while since we had it. But back in 88, we were in this lottery. So we don't get our own tickets, but we did get seats. Last row, second balcony. So in the last row, now we had mezzanine, we didn't have boxes, we had mezzanine seats. Decent, good, good ticket at the, old, at the old barn, I'm sure people remember. So I'm up there in the, second, in the last row of the second balcony, and I'm looking down at my seats. And there's a dude in a Boston Celtics starter jacket in my seats. And I'm like, it's one thing to get banished to the last row of the second balcony. It's another to have a Larry Bird fan sitting in my Michael Jordan Bulls-loving seat at the All-Star game in Chicago. I wanted to go down there and you know, throw my all of my five foot, 105-pound prepubescent karma around and tell him to get out of there. This is not right. And then Bird, of course, goes on to win the three-point contest. So the stadium's going nuts. My father, who oftentimes when we'd go to games, he'd bring the newspaper with him, he'd be reading, and he'd bring his law journals and whatever else he was doing. He's standing up cheering for him. And I'm, I'm like, head, my hands are over my head. I'm just, I was miserable. But then Jordan goes and wins the slam dunk contest, and then he wins the MVP award on Sunday, scores 40 points, 17 to 23 shooting, no big deal. And it was just awesome, right? And... I, I I wrote about this this week, and I, I was just thinking about it. Like, it really was on some level. Now he had already scored sixty three against the Celtics, and people knew who Michael was. He had won a championship in college in North Carolina, but this was something a little. It, it elevated him even further. Fourth year in the league, All Star game in Chicago. He wins the slam dunk contest. Iconic picture that we're still talking about today. So many people all over the place on the internet this week. Jordan, Wilkins, slam dunk contest. Dominique got robbed. Home cooking, all that stuff. I mean, we're still talking about it. A slam dunk contest. Nobody nobody even remembers who was in the slam dunk contest in the last 10 years. Oh, yeah, Vince Carter. Oh, yeah, there was that uh, Aaron Gordon, I think is his name, down in Orlando. Dwight Howard jumped over a car. But literally, nobody thinks about a slam dunk contest like they do about 88. Uh, And I'm just thinking about the the Bulls at that point. They were about to become the biggest thing in sports. That year they played the Pistons in the playoffs for the first time. They lost four games to one in the Eastern Conference semis. Then they played them in the Conference Finals the next two years, lost 4-2 and 4-3. And then they get over the hump in 91, win the championship, win six out of eight years. If Mike doesn't retire in the middle of it, he, they probably win eight in a row, or could have, maybe even nine in a row if they didn't tear the team down. But regardless, they, they were they were right on the verge of the whole thing, and you could see it coming. And the slam dunk contest, it was like you could just feel like the whole city almost like jumping on his back, like this is this is the next Walter Payton, this is the next Gale Sayers, this is the next uh, Jim McMahon, whoever you want to throw that was leading the city to victory and and they and and he did it and they went in and it took off and that all-star game like just thinking back on it was was a signature moment and i'm thinking about where the bulls are at right now i was like oh my god you don't even want to acknowledge that the team exists there's no jumping off point there's a falling into the pool point there's a lake michigan's iced over right now but there's a let's let's go out and dive in there and not come up point. Ah, Zach Levine, Laurie Markin, and Jim Boyle. Oh, my God. So it's just, it's so incredibly different now. Uh, but I'm curious, 312-981-7200, anybody out there who remembers 88 was in the building Saturday and or Sunday? 
I, I would love to. I would. I would. I would love to just get together and hold hands and talk about it because it was. It was a lot, a lot of fun, and the stadium too. When you think back about it, to get to the second balcony, I think you had to climb up twelve flights of stairs. Twelve. There's no escalator. There's no elevator. There's no nothing. There is. You get to the bottom and you look up like, all right. Was this truly nosebleed turf? Last row, man, David Jennings. Last row. Now we were in the middle. We weren't in the corner. So like the corner last row was higher than we were. We were where we were at, which is about the free throw line extended all the way to the top of the building. Ouch. But still a great view. Better, okay. better for hockey than for basketball. Like hockey, an up top seat in the middle. I'm sure Blackhawks fans who are listening right now, second balcony, first row, might have been the best seat in the house. Get on up there, get the cigarettes going. Get the they used to they used to sell beer. They would be already poured in this like nasty, gross twelve ounce cup that was falling apart. Place smelled like urine. It's the greatest place on earth. Seven twenty WGN. Blackhawks hockey coming up at the bottom of the hour. Eight oh nine. Mark Harmon with you. This is Sports Central on seven twenty WGN. Magic Johnson coming up in a matter of moments here. I asked him to tell a Michael Jordan story. He tells this unbelievable story, and he invokes this card game that I'm wondering if anyone out there has actually played. Uh, but real quick here, let me get to Jen in Chicago, who's at the 88 All-Star Game. Jen, I want to see if your story checks out. You were there on that February afternoon, is that right? That is very true. I was there. <laughs> where, where, where were you sitting, Jen? Tell me about your life. So, yeah, I still have season tickets. My dad got them for us. He's no longer here. But um, so we were four rows. Our season tickets were four four rows behind the Bulls bench. But just like you said earlier, for the All-Star game, we had to relocate. So we were up. I think it was the visiting visiting hoop that we were above. But we were above, like, the Larry Bird section that we got for that day. And so we looked down and we tried to see, as you were saying, who were sitting in our seats. And it actually was Walter Payton. Oh my, that's awesome. <laughs> so, Sweetness. Yeah. That's a way better story. That's, <laughs> so were you in the mezzanine or were you in the first balcony, second balcony? Because if you had fourth row behind the bench, I wouldn't think they'd bump you all the way up top. No, and I was 14 at the time. My recollection, my dad took all of us kids together. We had four seats. Um, so what I remember, we were probably, I guess, maybe the mezzanine. I, I don't know exactly. Yeah, that's, that's but, that sounds right. So Yeah, so we got to see it. So we so we're the, basically the same age here, Jen. You, ex- <laughs> you, you got to experience Michael Jordan in the greatest way possible. I'm sure you have fond memories, do you not? Oh, my gosh. Tonight I was talking to my brother and sister, and like I said, I have season tickets, and I gave away the tickets for this whole weekend. Because I'm like, it just doesn't mean the same anymore. I mean, sad to say. But I found some old pictures that I used to take. No cell phones back then with my camera. I've got so many good ones, so many good stories that, um, thankfully to my parents, we got to go all the time. So um, it was really lucky to see Jordan, like, really before he was super, you know, just coming up and got to go to all the playoffs and just amazing. So I was happy to hear you talking about it. Yeah, Very cool. it, it, it was the greatest. What What's your favorite game that you ever, ever attended? Does anything jump out? Ugh. Well, Chicago Stadium. I mean, it would like literally people were cheering and it would like shake. <laughs> like I can't explain that in the Zambonis. You go out like to go to the bathroom, like just the whole experience of Chicago Stadium. Uh. The, Zam- really the, the Zamboni on the lower level <laughs> parked <laughs> with the smell of popcorn combined with urine with the red folding chair. Uh, so good. Uh, Jen, stay, <laughs> okay. you, stay tuned. You're going to love this Magic Johnson story on Michael. You, it's, 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 it's right up your alley, all right? Sweet. Okay. Thank you. All right. Appreciate the call. 312-981-7200. Memories of the 88 All-Star Game in Chicago Stadium. All right. Let's play Magic here. Uh, this is just phenomenal. I asked Magic, can you tell a can you tell a Michael Jordan story since you're back in Chicago for the All Star Game, and he did not uh, disappoint. Michael and I playing with him was a bucket list for me. So when the Olympics came around and the Dream Team, man, it was the greatest moment of my life. And 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 it wasn't just on the court. Michael and I played tongue every single night. <laughs> no, no, this is crazy. 
It started off Pippin, Barkley, Michael, and myself. We already knew their money wasn't long enough to hang with us. <laughs> so at a certain time, they were going to fall off. Man, this dude, man, he had me up to 5 o'clock in the morning. This is how special Michael Jordan is. We played Tunk all the way to 5, 5.30 in the morning. He had a tea time at 8 o'clock. He would go get two hours of sleep, play 18 holes of golf, go score 30 points before halftime. <laughs> and we did this every single night. And I'm so glad that God blessed me to be able to have that time with Michael because that, that time got us to be friends, mother, father before he passed away. I used to go out to his house. We used to play bid whiz. So his dad was my partner and Oakley was his partner. So we would play bid whiz all night. Now this, okay, I'm gonna tell y'all, a lot of people don't know this. This is gonna be good. This is good. Cut it on, cut it on. I'm giving you something nobody knows. Okay, the night before he hit all them threes against Portland, we're playing bid whiz at his house. Right, his dad and I, we busted and we, we tore him up, and I'm I'm running six no's and five specials on Michael. Right, <laughs> so we played, and I said, Michael, I gotta go home. You got a game, cause remember I was working for NBC at that time. So I'm calling the game. He said, No, MJ, cause Michael is so competitive. When he loses, he don't want you to leave. You know. So we played. And I said, No, I'm going home to the hotel. So remember he, he shot and he made like four or five in a row. And remember when he made that last one and he turned to the score, he was turning to me. <laughs> he was so hot that night. So he owed me a lot. Because, I, because I'm the one he was mad at. That's why he took it out on Clyde Drexler the next day in the game. Awesome. So we had such a great time. I came to Chicago for his first event when his foundation was yeah. was going, his mother, I was here. So we spent some special times together. I love MJ. Um, we will always be brothers. And um, he's a special man. So I think that's the time that I will remember the most. Coming here to Chicago, you know, the old stadium, rocking. You think yeah. the whole roof was coming off, man. When he got on them run, him and Scottie Pippen, they went to dunking on you and stuff, man. That old stadium was just jumping. Boom, boom. It's not like the new one now. It, uh, that old one, though, man, that was amazing, man. We had a good time. So that's what I will always remember about Michael. The first time I also asked him to come do something for my charity, he came out. Yeah. And so we both just been blessed to have each other in each other's lives. And uh, I, I love him. That's my boy. And so, and I love that he loved to play cards, the same games I love to play. All right. So that was magic. And so that was magic. And I was filming with my phone, so you hear me laughing and whatnot. It was, I, it was just interesting that I couldn't control myself because he kept looking at me and just like he was so excited. It was just a ton of fun to be see one of the all-time greats here uh, being in town for the All-Star Game. Does anybody know what Bidwist is? 720 WGN. 720 WGN Blackhawks coming up at the bottom of the hour. Bidwist is what Magic was talking about, which apparently is a card game that I have never played in my life. David Jennings, I, are you our resident Bidwist expert? Do you play cards, Jennings? I have played Bidwist. You have played Bidwist? But it's been a very long time. I, I mean, I asked 312-981-7200. I have it pulled up here because uh, you can. the Internet's very powerful. You can Google these things, what Bidwist is. But I asked if anybody out there has played Bidwist. Chris is on the south side. He's calling WGN Magic. Played Bidwist with Michael's late father, James, against Jordan and Charles Oakley. Uh, I'm sure a lot, but in this story, it was during the 1992 NBA Finals. Chris, uh, welcome to WGN. Are you a Bidwist player? Most definitely, Mark. <laughs> and uh, as I was telling your producer, it's a game that uh, first you learn the foundation of it by uh, uh, learning spades. Uh, and once you know spades is the foundation, then 
money bid whist or can you play it does does it does that not necessarily need to be the case clearly it was when they were playing right uh, no you don't have to you don't have to use the money it's just the competitive competitiveness of it because uh it's just knowing uh having a mindset of who who's holding what and bidding accordingly yeah chris so, but like i said anyone can learn it but you have to learn spades uh before you learn bid whist and it can be very competitive and make for a very nice competitive night with the uh, <laughs> friends that you hold dear to your heart. Chris, it sounds like you're playing tonight. Are you in there? Or are you at least... You're, 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 you're <laughs> not... You're, <laughs> you're not opposed. Uh, <laughs> all right, well... No. I, I I appreciate I appreciate you weighing in here, and I, I'm 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 interested, Chris. I want to I want to learn the game. I want to play because I love right, cards. Okay. Yeah, so. start with spades and start with spades and take it from see, there. Yeah, okay, appreciate you. And I see I haven't I haven't spade played spades either. Jennings, you know spades, you know bidwist. What do you got? Um, <laughs> you got an accurate description of the game. It is based on spades, and okay. you do need to know that before bidwist will make any sense at all. It says here that, and I didn't learn spades first when I was introduced to bidwist, so I was kind of coming at it from behind the eight ball, so to speak. So they were taking your money. No, we didn't do money. Okay, it was just frustration when you lost. Okay, major frustration. Bidwist is a partnership trick-taking game. Yep. That is very popular among African Americans. It's played with the standard fifty-two card deck plus two jokers, fifty-four cards. Does this ring a bell? The, yeah. The two jokers must be distinct. One is called the big joker, the other the little joker, and there are four players, two teams. So this was it was Magic and James Jordan against Oak and MJ. Each player sitting opposite their partner. Game starts with each team at zero. The object of the game is to score seven or more points. Force the other team to go to negative seven or more points. <laughs> I would pay big bucks to get a video of Magic versus you Michael. Just, you just read my mind. Right? I'm like, you know, is there a video? No, no, there were no, no cell phones then. Uh, or at no, least not with cameras. Yeah, I mean, we, we needed the camcorder out. Oh, man, Maybe, that, that would be some serious wouldn't video. It? That would be sweet. Bidwist. But I, I just love hearing Magic talk about how he played. The, the fact that he was playing with Jordan's dad is just awesome. And he mentioned the the charity games. I remember Michael going out there during the summertime. He was wearing, you know, I remember him wearing like some white jersey. They're playing in, 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 at the Forum in L.A. And he was dunking all over the place. It was all for charity. And Magic, of course, did the same for him. And Scottie Pippen at his All-Star uh, had his charity game at Old Chicago Stadium, which was the last game ever at Old Chicago Stadium. Jordan was retired at the time. I think Bobby Heil just won the three-point competition. Who? Bobby Heald? Bob, that's he, uh, healed. Yes, yes. I, he Bob, just. I think he just won. I'm taping it at home, Jennings. Oh, <laughs> I figured you'd have it up on the monitor in the studio. I mean, come on, you're here. <laughs> it's, it's okay. No biggie. I, I didn't hear it. And uh, Buddy healed. Uh, too bad for Zach Levine. He was. Yeah, he he did not make the second round. He, oh wow, bowed out big time. Okay. Hey, that means we have time real faster. If we can, can you? Uh, Get to me, Kenny Smith, please. I talked to Kenny yesterday. I got—I don't have enough time for the whole argument here, but I asked Kenny, the Jet, on NBA and TNT, what's the difference between Chicago and New York basketball? Because Kenny grew up in New York. This is Chicago. We are the Mecca. How do you see the differences? The Jet. Tell me the difference between... New York basketball and Chicago basketball. Well, we're, we're they're indoor, we're outdoor. So you know, I think their guys probably have, um, you know, earlier in their life they played more perimeter uh, because they can play indoor. There's no wind taking their shot. You know, we're we're playing outside. You know, 85 percent of the time. So that makes us more ball handlers and drivers. Uh, early on in our careers. I was probably one of the unique guys who was like a jump shooter coming from New York, but uh, that's the difference. Y'all inside, we're outside. You can't even play right now. You can still go outside in February in New York right now and get in, maybe get a couple shots in, outside on the park. See, I think if D. Rose was listening to this, he'd, he'd come in and say, Jet, I was outside in February, I was outside in January. 
No, he was outside because he had the mentality. He had the mama mentality. But nobody else was out there playing. I'm talking about, you know, from Wall Street to Harlem. You know, everybody plays basketball in, in New York outside. And uh, that, I think that's probably the difference where you guys have great basketball players. We probably have like a community of people who have no aspiration to be in the NBA, but just play basketball for, to get in shape. That, I think that's where it probably is the difference. You mentioned the mama mentality, and I think for a lot of Chicago people, they rooted for Michael so hard that they almost didn't appreciate Kobe like they could have. You know, it was like a rivalry thing. Uh, I'm just curious, when you when you look back at what you re- respect most about Kobe, just on the court, because off the court is, you know, what he was about to do maybe would have been even greater than he did on the court. What, 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 what comes to mind for you? Well, I think, you know, when the tragedy first happened, the first thing I thought of was his, uh, him as a father. I thought, was, wow, his, his daughter's lost a dad. And how are these young ladies going to, you know, navigate through life without a dad? Uh, that was my first thought, honestly. And then as a basketball player, I was, um, you know, the comparisons we're in Chicago is to Michael. Mike, he, he chased Michael. He wanted to be like Mike. You know, he, and he, he patterned his game a lot after Michael. Um, so Michael was the GOAT. And, uh, you know, Kobe was the closest thing we saw to it. Right now, this year, and I know I know this is the last one I'm getting pushed out, but... Uh, who, who, who's your favorite right now, Jet? Take take the title this year. I like Milwaukee. Uh, yeah, yeah. 45 miles up. What is it? 50 miles up from here. Uh, I like Milwaukee. Uh, I think they're, um, you know, you look at the trajectory of an NBA champion, they have the same trajectory that most champions have. Like, they, someone else wins it, it would be like, well, man, I didn't see it coming. But with them, they have the trajectory. I should mention McDonald's and Black and Positively Golden. It's a beautiful event. What does it mean to you? Well, for me, Black and Positively Golden, you know, we partnered to just create events that are, are withstanding more than the event. To, you know, uh, to have an education about how you can continue to inspire and continue to educate yourself and continue to have great positive things happen in your life beyond a, a one, one-time event. So, so that was Kenny the Jet Smith catching up yesterday at uh, the McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Campaign Movement. It was over uh, at Morgan Manufacturing on the west side. And uh, Magic spoke, Kenny who spoke, uh, Iman Shumpert who played basketball here uh, was on the panel as well. Magic told one real, one quick story about how he was offered Nike or Congress, Nike or Converse coming into the league. And Nike told him, hey, we can't pay you as much, but we'll give you stock. And he's like, I didn't even know what stock was. I would have been, instead of a billionaire, I would have been a trillionaire. And he was kicking himself for it. He's a billionaire, wants to be a trillionaire, super competitive.